Amen. Thanks, Mike. Looking forward to seeing our students back in the neighborhood, right? Are you already noticing the, the parking is getting a little harder? There's a lot of activity and uh, music and fun. Uh, it's happening, and we are a university student. We love to love students. Well, again, good morning, and thank you for worshiping. My name is George Hinman, and um, it's a privilege to step into the last Sunday of this series called I See You. And I just want to say thank you to Pastor Aaron for leading us this summer. Was, this has not been a great series. I have learned a lot. So I think Pastor Aaron's watching at home right now. Um, but uh, thank you, brother. We're so grateful for who you are and how you lead us. This is such a sweet season of ministry for us at UPC. Uh, so let me begin my little contribution to this with a thought experiment. I would ask you to imagine a friend who comes right up to you and comes right into your space, looks you in the eye and says, what's wrong? Think about what that might feel like to hear someone say, what's wrong in that way? I get this thought experiment from a character in one of David Foster Wallace's books. If you don't know David Foster Wallace, American novelist, passed away 10 years ago. I, I, I'm an absolute fan of DFW. And one of his characters in his last book, Pale King, um, <laughs> says, try this in the middle of a conversation with somebody. Just change the subject suddenly and look concerned and say, what's wrong? And they'll go, wait, what? What, what do you mean? And you go, no, something's wrong. I can tell. <laughs> and, and, and then they'll go, oh, right? And so here's what he says about this. The character in the, in the book says, this person doesn't realize something's always wrong <laughs> with everybody. Often more than one thing. He doesn't know everybody's always going around all the time with someone, something wrong and believing they're exerting great willpower and control to keep other people from seeing it. This is the way of people. Right, so if he's saying, if you try this, they'll think, how did you know? Well, you are really smart or perceptive or something. David Foster Wallace, no, no, this works 90% of the time and simply for the fact that we're all walking around, something's wrong. Oftentimes multiple things. And we're exerting great willpower and control to try to keep other people from seeing it. And so when somebody does see it, he says, you'll get one of two reactions 90% of the time. Either they'll feel relieved, like, oh, okay, now I don't have to try to fake you out anymore, right? It's like uh, you see what's wrong in my life. Or fear, terror, and they'll try to avoid you for the rest, for the rest of their lives, right? Because it's just not safe to be around someone who sees what's wrong in my life. We fear judgment. The name that we're learning about for God in the Bible during this series is in Hebrew, El Roy, it's two words. It's the God who sees. And that's not always comfortable, is it? The God who sees. We've been asking ourselves, what does it mean to be seen by the one who made us and redeems us in love? He sees us and he cares for us and he restores us in his ICU. Well, today we come to Peter. And we're going to see what happens when Jesus puts Peter in his ICU. And we'll raise the question, what does it mean to be seen by someone when there's something wrong inside of us? And in the ICU, Jesus transforms Peter's life, moving him from fear to gratitude, to thanks, thankfulness and relief for being seen. So let's open up our Bibles. I know we don't have them in the pew, but maybe you can pull out a, 
a device and navigate over to John 21, or maybe you brought a Bible or you have one if you're at home. Uh, John 21 is the last chapter of the Gospel of John. And I'd love for us to read out loud together John uh, 21, 15 through 19. You can read in any translation you want, but I'm reading in the New Revised Standard Version. If you're able, uh, would you stand, whether you're here or at home, and let's read God's Word aloud together as a way of worshiping, uh, doing the work of the people, and honoring the one towards whom this passage points, Jesus Christ our Savior. When we're done reading, I'll say this is the Word of the Lord, so that if you believe it, you can say thanks be to God. Listen carefully, you're reading God's holy word. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, Jesus said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. Please be seated. I think if David Foster Wallace were to rewrite this little scene, he'd probably have Jesus come right up to Peter, get in his space, and say to him, Peter, what's wrong? I think that's what he means, right? What he actually says is, Peter, do you love me more than these? But I ask you, what in the world does that mean? Well, let's back up, okay? Just get the context for this scene. Um, this is about... Two weeks after Easter, the resurrection of our Savior, which happened in Jerusalem, the tomb is empty, and Jesus has re revealed himself alive from the dead to the disciples and many others. About two weeks later, um, Peter and his buddies, the disciples, are up north in Galilee, and Peter's got them all out in a boat, saying, hey, let's go fishing. And so they're out there all night fishing. They don't catch anything, so they're using my techniques. And um, they see this figure uh, in the distance. And he says, hey, put the nets on the other side of the boat. And so they think that's crazy. But they drop the nets on the other side of the boat. And, of course, more fish than they can hold. The boat start to sink. Well, John says, it's the Lord. John's always the reliable witness. That's John in the Gospel of John, right? And Peter rips off his outer garment and dives into the water. Peter's always the man of action. And they come to the shore and... Uh, Jesus is cooking breakfast and they eat. And then John says, after breakfast, Peter uh, is pulled aside by Jesus. And they were walking on the beach. And Jesus then asked this question, Peter, do you love me more than these? And so what does that mean, right? That's just, more than these fish? More than these other guys love you? That's like not clear, right? Um, some commentators make a lot of note that Jesus uses a couple different words for love here, and he does. But I 
think that's a false clue because Paul, uh, Jesus, uh, sorry, John loves to vary his vocabulary just for stylistic reasons. And these two words for love can mean the same thing. Uh, but he, even in this passage, he has a different word for knowing and different words for tending sheep. I think it's just kind of variety. So I don't think that's the answer to what this means. If you really want to know what the question means, you've got to know what it meant to Peter because he's the target, right? So what does it mean to Peter? Well, here John does give us some information. He says, uh, when Peter heard him ask this question the third time, verse 17, Peter felt hurt. Peter felt hurt when he heard the third time. Now, this word hurt is an important word in this context, I believe. It, it, it's used in other places. For example, it's used of the rich young ruler in that story when Jesus comes. Jesus exposes his greed and materialism, and the rich young ruler avoids Jesus. It's used in the upper room when Jesus exposes the spirit of betrayal in the room. The same word, they felt hurt. And so now, Peter is feeling hurt because Jesus is exposing him. Okay, three times Jesus asks this question. Does that sound familiar? Anything about Peter and the number three? Do you remember? Okay, yeah, right, <clears throat> the three denials. Jesus asks Peter to say, I love you one time for each of his three denials. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you can almost hear the rooster crowing in the background, right? I'm sure Peter does. And then he gets it, the penny drops. He goes, oh, this is what the question means. Jesus is now confronting me in my sin. This is, you know, John's theme, the light. Jesus is the light shining in the darkness. This is now the light of Christ, of God's light illuminating Peter in a way that he probably wouldn't want it to have been illuminated. What's interesting to me about this is there's this, this doublet, right? There's the scene in the courtyard where Peter says, I, I didn't know you. I didn't know him. I'm not one of those guys. I deny, you know, the three denials. And then there's the scene on the beach where there's the three professions of faith. I loved you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And I kind of feel like what John is doing, he's very clever, John, by the way, skilled author, is he's doing like this kind of this Christopher Nolan, Frank Capra kind of move where he's taking these two alternative universes and overlaying them for just a moment so that the viewer, at least Peter, experiences them both at the exact same time. So here's what I think Peter's hearing in his head. He's hearing the courtyard scene and the beach scene. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. No, I'm not one of them. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. No, I tell you, I never knew the man. Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. You go, wow. Those are both true. They're both Peter's reality. Now, what I want to do is I want to unpack this conversation with you by looking at both perspectives. First, let's look at what Jesus is trying to do with Peter. And then let's look at what Peter, how he responds to what Jesus is trying to do. All right, so first, what is Jesus doing with Peter? I would put it this way. Here, Peter's maker stands before him in flesh and blood and says, I see you. I see you. This is maker. He's saying, I made you, and now I see you. I think we could call this the ministry of the rooster. <clears throat> because it's in this moment that God is saying to Peter, I see, I see you. I see more of you than you want me to see. I see what's wrong. 
I see what's wrong inside of you. And this is an awkward moment of truth for Peter. And this is the moment when mom finds your stash. (laughs) Right? This is the moment when the investors show up having learned that you've been cooking the books. This is the moment that your spouse finds the pictures on your phone that you never wanted them to find. This is the moment when you think you're going to work and you find all of your friends sitting in your living room uh, telling you you've got a problem with alcohol. I mean, this is the moment of exposure for Peter. And, And you have to ask yourself, why would Jesus do this? I mean, Ted Lasso would never do this, right? Can I get an amen? Ted Lasso would never confront someone this way. It'd be like, yeah, you know, you're good, forget about it. Let's focus on more positive things. Jesus moves right into the wound. He's right there in Peter's face going, remember anything about the number three, Peter? Why would he do that? Why would he allow Peter to feel hurt? Because of his past. Here's why. This is what John wants us to understand to let the grace in, to let the grace in exactly where the hurt lives. I think this is what John wants us to know. What grace does not reveal will never heal. This is the light shining in the darkness. John 3 tells us men love the, the, dark, uh, the, the darkness because our deeds are evil. And here Jesus is not wincing. He's not withholding anything. He's shining right into the evil of Peter's life, the the lying, the denial, the self-aggrandizement, all of it. Jesus goes, I see it. Why? Because he wants the grace to come in right at that point. He he doesn't want Peter to try to cover over it with recriminations or self-criticism or judgment. He, He wants grace to pour in there and restore. That's why uh, Jesus pursues Peter. I mean, the Gospel of John is kind of basically over at this point. And John goes, wait, one more thing that Jesus did. It's so cool. Remember Peter? Jesus went and found Peter to restore him. And he's restoring him by making it a little bit uncomfortable because he wants him to know there is grace even there in the depths of Peter's brokenness. Even there. It's the ministry of the rooster. The ministry of the rooster is an opportunity to let grace in. And he prepared Peter for this in advance. Remember he said back in the upper room, yeah, you're going to deny me three times and the rooster is going to crow. And what you should take from that is Jesus is not surprised by your sin. You might be surprised by my sin if I let you see it, but he's not. He's not surprised by my sin. That's why I'm here because I know a Savior who has a solution for my sin who forgives it. Jesus says, Um, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, Peter, um, but I've prayed for you. And let me tell you, Jesus is not praying that Peter won't deny Jesus uh, because Jesus' prayers always get answered. And he's saying, no, you are going to deny me. I'm not praying that you won't deny me. I'm telling you, you will deny me. What I'm praying is that you'll have an experience of grace that comes out of this, that you'll understand that I hold you in grace. And then on the other side, he says, when you return, not if you return, when you return, because I hold you in grace, because I've been praying for you, I know you're going to return, then lead my people. He tells them that all before. And the rooster's going to crow when it happens. Peter's like, no, 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 no. And Jesus is like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then the rooster crows, and there's no denying the truth. Peter's a broken man. And Jesus still holds him. 
and grace. See, see that, here's the gospel coming for Peter in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and, and this opportunity, the, the two universes that come together, the Christopher Nolan moment, I think what Jesus is doing there, you know, you can't go back and rewrite the script of your life, but what you can do is you can overwrite that script with the gospel. And I think that's what he's doing. He's going, now what I want to do, Peter, is I want to take you from the beach back to the courtyard. Instead of being like across the courtyard over there with all the soldiers and the mob and everything like that, I'm going to stand with you at the fire. I'm going to be nose to nose with you. And every time you deny me, I'm going to actually ask you to profess your faith in me because I'm the Savior who covers your denial with grace. And so he's overriding those moments of trauma and hurt and woundedness with his profession of, I love you, Jesus, right there. Because of who you are, because of what you've done, because of how you hold me, even in this moment of rebellion, I love you, Jesus, more than anything. Wow. This is what our Savior does for us. You know, they say when you die, your whole life flashes in front of your face. I don't know if that's true. But what I do believe is that you can go back and revisit your life. Whether it's what happened last night or what happened 30 years ago, Jesus can take you back through the Holy Spirit. And, and he may do that. He may want you to relive that moment, not to re-traumatize you or to try to change what actually happened, but to change your relationship to that moment. He wants you to see him standing with you in that moment, in the kitchen where it happened. Jesus, your Savior, is there with you. And where you're hurt or where you hurt someone else, Jesus says, I, I, uh, will, I, I will change this moment in time. I'm not going to change what happened, but I'm going to redeem it so that now your profession of faith in me, Jesus, I love you, becomes the last word over that. And this is where the healing begins. The grace breaks in. This is what he's doing for, for Peter, the ministry of the rooster. By the way, um, this is a unique thing for Christians. I mean, it's only Christians who say, you know, let's take a moment to think about what's broken inside of us. Let's be honest about the mistakes that we've made. The world goes, don't, don't, don't spend time on that. It's shame. But, but the Christian, no, it's not about shame. It's about being released from shame, actually. And so when we gather, you know, Mike just led us in this beautiful confession of sin. I'm totally with you, every line of that, Mike. We all are. That's just who we are. As we confess our sin publicly and then privately in times of prayer, we ask the Holy Spirit to bring conviction into our lives. Um, so that we can surface areas and say, here I need your grace, Jesus. Here I need your grace. Here I need your healing. Redeem this, because I can't. John, in his, one of his letters later says, uh, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this is why we feel such a sense of relief to be known and not have to pretend that we're better than we are. It's just relief to say something is wrong, confess it, and to know you're still standing there, aren't you? You're not walking away, are you? You're not judging me, are you? You're pulling me into your grace. So ministry of the rooster, it's what Jesus does, was a relief to Peter, and it is to us as well. And when the maker stands before us and says, I see you, 
But let me move on, if you will. Are we ready to go? There's one other side of this, and it's how Peter responds. This is, what, this is the greatness of Peter. I'm wondering, is anyone named Peter in this room? Do we have any Peters? Yes! Your parents did well to give you this. Peter is a great guy. This is a great name. I'm jealous of you because he's here. George just means farmer. What is that? But Peter <laughs> is the model disciple. And so take note of his response here, okay? Uh, here... Secondly, Peter stands before his redeemer and says, you see me. You know, the maker says, I see you. Peter, the faithful disciple, says, you see me. Now, I call this the wisdom of the sea. Let me tell you why. The wisdom of the sea. Essentially, Peter is saying, you see me. You see a greater me than I'm able to see. You see me as I will one day be. If the ministry of the rooster is a moment of truth for, for Peter. The wisdom of the sea is a moment of faith for Peter. I call it the wisdom of the sea because Peter, Peter's mirror is the sea. Like you and I have mirrors in our homes where we have phones, we have selfies and videos. We see ourselves all the time. But back then, how would you see yourself? Well, a fisherman probably most frequently sees themselves when on a calm day, there's not many fish. There's hardly any wind. I think we'll be rowing home. What else are we going to do here but kill time? And he looks over the gunnels and, oh, look at that right there. There's this kind of rippling surface, stretching, distorting like a funhouse mirror. He sees this image of himself with birds flying between his eyes and clouds covering his nose. It's not a perfect image, but he looks down and he goes, so this is Peter, the fisherman, Right? That's how he would know who he is, by looking down at the sea, except he doesn't. And this is the brilliance of Peter. He doesn't know who he is by looking at his own reflection. He knows who he is by looking into the eyes of Jesus. That's the wisdom of the sea, to know yourself by looking at Jesus, not the mirror. So note, if you want to see this in action here, this is a great passage to see it. Notice how Peter responds. What does he say? Jesus says, do you love me? Um, now, it's a very personal question. If you ask me, George, do you love me? And I do, right? So that's the answer. But, but if, you, if you said, George, do you love me? What am I, how am I going to get my answer? How am I going to get my truth? Well, I'm probably going to look inside. I'm probably going to say, what are my emotions? What are my feelings? What are my desires? Do I feel something for you? Or I'm going to look at my actions. What do I do? Do I do the kinds of things that someone would do if they loved you? Um, what are my behaviors? I would ask, inside or outside? Peter doesn't do either of those things. He doesn't go, well, I, I, let me see if I really do love Jesus. Let me look inside. Morbid introspection. No, he doesn't do that. What does he say? You know. You tell me. You know me better than I know myself. So each time he's asked, he says, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. Finally, everything. I look to you. I look to you to to know what my truest feelings are. I look to you what my real desires are. I look to you to know who I really am. You're better than any mirror, so I don't look down at myself and the reflection. I look at, at the reflection of the heavens above because heaven identifies me most truly. I look into your eyes because you're the redeemer. And you promise that one day you'll make all things new, including me. Another way of thinking about this is um, a map. Let me just change my metaphor just for a second. So imagine you grew up in a village in China, western China, and it's been, you've been gone for decades. 
They've rebuilt that whole village now. It's a gleaming metropolis. And you're going to go home. How will you find your home? Well, you won't use your old map that tells you how to get to where you once lived when you were young. You'll have to call someone who lives there now and say, how do I make my way? You'll need a new map, right? When you look in the mirror, you see maybe who was, you see maybe who is, but you cannot see who you will be. It's only when you look to your Redeemer who says at the end in Revelation, I will make all things new. I will make you new. I got a new version of you right here. The only way you can know how to get there is to get a new map from the future. And that's what Jesus is. So um, how did he learn this, Peter? Let me just do a little excursus on how Peter learned this. Luke 5. John knows about Luke 5. By the way, John is the last gospel that's written. He assumes you've read the other three gospels. He, and, and in Luke 5, John knows there's a story of when Peter first met Jesus. And he's on the same lake, maybe even the same beach. Jesus is teaching folks. Peter's cleaning his nets. Jesus gets in the boat to, to be able to speak to the audience. After he's done, he says to Peter, this fisherman guy who's there, hey, put your boat out and uh, throw the nets in. And Peter goes, <laughs> okay, um, I don't really know you, but you are a rabbi and I'm the fisherman. <laughs> right? And we've been out all night, my friend, and there are zero fish out there. Zero. So <laughs> this is a nice idea, but let's save ourselves all a lot of time and embarrassment. Right? Is that what he says? No. Luke 5, 5 says this. Master, we have worked all night, but have caught nothing. Now listen to this. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. Yet, if you say so. Master, oh, that would be a great tattoo. Yet if you say so. Everything in my experience says, everything in my past, everything in my training, everything in my professional life, everything inside of me and outside of me says, there are no fish there, and I should know. I am the one who should know. And he says, so I'm giving all that information. Yet if you should say so, because, Lord, you know. You know. You know everything. And he goes out. And the nets are bursting with fish. That's Luke 5. This is John 21. And do you, do you know what happens just before the scene that we read? Well, they're out in the lake. They fished all night. They got no fish. And Jesus shows up and says, put your nets down on the other side, which makes no sense to me. And I'm sure it made no sense to them. They, they put them down and the fish are there again, just the same. It's a double of the same scene. And they go, it's Jesus. It's the Lord. This is how Peter learns to defer constantly to his Savior, you know, Lord, to set his own wisdom, knowledge, self-awareness aside in favor of his Savior's. So when Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? Or, or Peter, what's wrong or what's right inside of you? Peter's going to say this, Master, you tell me. What do you see in me? And I think Jesus might answer this way using the language of Paul. He might say, Peter, I see in you the first Adam. I see a sinner. I see you standing at the foot of the cross, exposed in your sin and all of its lethal power. I see you struggling under the power of sin. I see you the first Adam. But Peter, I also see the second Adam in you. I see myself in you. I see you as a saint. 
I see you worshiping at the empty tomb. I see you surrendering to the new creation as it begins to work its way out in your life. I see you leading people in my movement. I see you sitting at the right hand of the Father in a place of great privilege, authority, and esteem. I see you coming on the clouds with me at the end of the age in glory. That's who I see. Paul says elsewhere, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Isn't that amazing? It's Colossians 3. John, elsewhere in one of his letters, says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's amazing. That's who you really are. Tell your friends. David Brooks just wrote a great column um, this week. I don't know if you saw the title of it. Is you are not who you think you are. And that's true for all kinds of scientific reasons. It's true for even more true for theological reasons. You are not who you think you are. So friends, this is the wisdom of the sea. If you want to know who you really are, who you truly are, please, please don't look at the mirror. Don't look inside. Don't look outside. Don't look at other people. Look into the eyes of your Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. That's the wisdom of the sea. So he finally asks, very patient people, what's wrong? What's wrong? I think it's the Christian who can give the best answer. To me, the culture seems to be uh, oscillating between bleak despair or naive optimism, but it's the Christian who gets to say, there really is something wrong. There really is. In the world and in me, you can see my wounds. I don't need to hide them. And it's the Christian who can also say, because of my Savior, Jesus Christ, I know that God, the one who made the world and made me, has entered into it in order to redeem it. And so beautiful things are coming because I see his wounds. So through the ministry of the rooster and the wisdom of the sea, we can affirm he's the one transforming our lives. So let me suggest that every moment in your life, including right now, you are standing before this Jesus. If this happens to be the day that your mom finds the stash, your spouse discovers the pictures, be relieved. Jesus is only pulling you into the light from the darkness. And he wants you to know you are not your addiction and you are not your finances. You're not your politics, your sexuality, your disability, your racism. No, David Foster Wallace, you're not even your depression. You are a daughter and a son of the great God who's made himself known in Jesus Christ. And you and I get to live out of that identity today and every day until we can see it in glory. And when you come into here, by the way, this family that we call UPC, you have no need to hide. We're not a community of tidy lives. Our lives are a mess. That's why we here publicly acknowledge we need a savior. So you can come in with all of your wounds and hurts and be just a part of this family like everybody else. We come to be restored by Jesus. I love what Preston Sprinkle says. He says, the church is a place of holiness and belonging. Both. It wouldn't be a church if you didn't have both. Holiness and belonging. That, what that means is that none of us comes in here and gets to be affirmed. 
But none of us, uh, but we all come in here and get to be welcomed. All of us. All of us. Because this is the Jesus who is here. Would you pray with me? Lord, the Bible tells us that one day we'll all come before you. And the script of our lives will be played just like Peter's was played on that beach. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Thank you that if we know you, we'll come to that moment with great joy. Because for those of us who place our trust in your redemption, we know the script that will be played will not be the script of our own lives, but of your life, Jesus. And you have lived and died and rose again from the dead for us. As Paul says, for the ungodly. Thank you. Friends, as you continue to pray, let me just say this to you. If you've not given your life to Christ in a personal way, I would ask you to prepare yourself now for that moment. This can be the moment you give your life to Jesus and have this same assurance. This can be the moment that you unlock the same healing that Peter experienced by praying this prayer with me now. So if you want to say yes to Jesus, pray this prayer out loud or silently, but let him hear you say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life that in its place I might receive yours. Expose my sin that it be nailed forevermore with you to the cross. And bind to me your resurrection life that I might stand before you even now in perfect righteousness, not that of my own doing, but of yours freely given to the Father for me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might have the power to walk, not in the way of all people, but in the way of my new and true nature given to me by the second Adam. In your matchless name I pray. Amen.